Good morning, everybody, and welcome to, yes, you got it, another episode of Obsidian Achievement. This is your host, Michael Russin. Thank you for joining me today. On our way to the gym, per the huge, we pull out here, not get hit. So I've got a crazy story for you guys. I want to tell you about my good friend, Josh who is a uh, Purple Heart and Bronze Star recipient. Um, Was he Iraq or Afghanistan? I think he was Iraq. So he was uh, Josh I met at church when I was probably eight or nine years old. Yeah, because Sarah wasn't born yet. Maybe even younger. Seven or eight years old. Maybe six, seven, eight years old. Somewhere in there, I met Josh at youth group. Well, at church before I was in youth group. But I met him at church. And uh, we went to youth group together. We went to a lot of uh, Christian conventions together. He's a very good friend of mine. We did the halo parties together at the youth pastor's house. And, uh, you know, Josh was kind of like a mentor to me, man. He was the first one to tell me that I needed to wear deodorant when I was a kid. He loves to tell that story. We're We're at a youth group camp. You know, we're a bunch of different churches from all over go to a camp. And you worship and you pray and you play games. Like we did like flag football, stuff like that. I don't think kids really even do that stuff anymore. But, um, which is crazy. But yeah, we had played flag football and we go back to our dorm. There are like these bunk beds. And Josh is like, dude, you stink. You need deodorant. I'm like, what deodorant? I must have just hit puberty. You know what I mean? I was probably 11, 12, 13 years old. So Josh showed me how to use deodorant. He also protected me one year. I was probably 14, 15. One of the older boys was showering uh, in his hotel room, and I got a bucket of ice water, and I dumped it on him. He must have been 16, 17 years old. The difference between a 14-year-old boy and a 16-year-old boy are vast, vast differences. Uh, physically. So I dumped this water on him. This kid was furious. I can't, I think, was it Jimmy? Uh, I don't remember who I did it to, but this kid was not happy. So Josh, uh, I hid behind Josh like he was my dad. (laughs) And I hid behind Josh for the rest of the convention. But, uh, so he was a good friend to me. And uh, he watched, he babysat me and Jeremiah a couple of times. You know, he's a really good dude. Very nice guy. But uh, right out of high school, Josh enlisted, and uh, he was deployed almost immediately, and uh, he was at a checkpoint, so his job was to um, scan civilians, I think eyes and fingers, he was telling me, at a checkpoint to make sure that they like weren't in the registered terrorist database, whatever, and um, he was standing there, and these two kids came up behind him, two nine-year-old kids, nine, ten-year-old kids, Iraqi kids, came running up to him and one of his partners. And him and his partner were both joking about how, you know, the kids would whoop one of their asses or something like that. And as he's standing there, he says, uh, he was telling me, so I met him for drinks last night. Um, and by drinks, we both had one drink. I can't drink anymore, dude. I just can't do it. I woke up feeling great today. I'm like, dude, that's right. I went to the bar and I only had one drink. I'm very proud of myself. So we, uh, 
Anyways, so we were talking last. He was telling me this story. So he stayed in there and wham, feels like he gets hit with a sledgehammer. And he hits the ground. And his buddy, so I guess uh, I was learning this last night. You have something on the back of your pack called a drag strap. I like if you get hurt instead of your guys trying to pick you up, they can just grab this strap and drag you to safety. So one of his buddies, everybody hits the ground. They all start shooting. <clears throat> and uh, one of his buddies grabbed uh, his drag sh- strap and pulled him behind a uh, Humvee. And, you know, long story short, he could obviously tell it better than me. I'm just going off a of memory of last night. A sniper hit him um, in his left hip. And the bullet traveled across his pelvis and got lodged and bounced. Or I just ran a red light. Just... Wake up, Michael. I'm glad it's the institution light, so it doesn't count. Everybody knows what that is. Wow. Lucky there weren't any cops around. I mean, I just barreled right through that. I mean, I, I stopped and then went like it was a four-way. So I didn't really ru- I ran it, but I stopped and then went. So I'm the idiot today. All right, all the times you guys hear me yelling at other people today, I'm the idiot. So this bullet bounced around, went, came through his left hip, crossed his pelvis, bounced around his right hip, and got lodged there. And, um, you know, he got, you know, you know, basically flown out, um, and then flown back to Georgia. He, like, died. He flatlined twice. Um, he was on a colostomy bag for 10 months. It, I mean, it ripped through his intestines and barely missed his prostate. Um, and then, uh, after that he got cancer. It's like, damn, like, dude, you first, you get shot and then you get cancer. You know what I mean? And, uh, just a, it's a cool story. I mean, it's not cool what happened to him, but it was cool listening to him tell this story. Um, and it just kind of brings about the reality of war. I mean, that happens every day and a lot of people don't make it, you know, to get shot through your guts like that. You know, and the sniper was probably, to avoid his body armor, was probably aiming for his guts. You know, because I'm sure he had plates on and his plate carrier, obviously, and a helmet. You know, so that sniper aimed for his for his midsection, and he hit him. And he hit him with a 7.62 by 54 round, which is uh, the NATO version of a 308, which is the rifle I've talked to you guys. I got that Wyndham Weaponry uh, 308. That's a big round. And it's really cool. He wears it on a necklace. So he has the bullet. It's probably about two inches long. Um, and it's all chewed up from having bounced off his hip bones at mock speed. You know what I mean? And he wears this bullet around his neck. And uh, he's lucky to be alive. He's lucky to be here. He said he was squirting blood um, when he got hit, and then he bl- almost bled out in the hospital, and it's uh, he's, he had blood transfusions, and he's very lucky to be here, and he was trying to describe the pain to me, and it's just there's no way you could describe it. He said he didn't really get he didn't really get much of the burning sensation. He said it just felt like when he first got hit, he said it felt like just an immense pressure, like he shit his pants, which I'm sure he probably did. <clears throat> you know, I don't... I don't know your body responding to that kind of trauma to take a, a 7.62 by 54 round. Look it up, dude. 7.62 by, so it's X 54. Just Google that round and you'll see what I'm talking about. So when you look at a bullet, 
um, you know, when you look at a round uh, before it's fired, you know, the whole thing isn't what gets fired out of the gun. You have the shell casing, then you have the actual shell, right? So look up what the uh, actual bullet inside that shell casing looks like. It's not something I would want to get shot by. I wouldn't want to get shot by anything, but definitely not that. Um, and he survived, and he's here, and he's, you know, little some problems, tingling, numbness, nerve damage, stuff like that. But overall, he's, he's you know, like you wouldn't be able to look at him and be like, oh, that dude got shot, um, you know what I'm saying, in Iraq. So it's just, uh, I'm just telling you guys this story because, you know, first of all, I don't agree with, and I don't think he agrees with now. He's He thinks very similarly to me about the wars and all this stuff, but, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for men, even if, you know, there were no weapons of mass destruction, even though that, that war over there, I don't want to say it was a fugazi, an insult, all the men and that have died and been wounded overseas, but, you know, he enlisted, and I know Josh's heart, he enlisted with the belief in his heart that he was doing the right thing, that he was defending his country, and, I've got a lot of respect for the men that went over and served and the men that gave their lives and the men that, you know, sacrificed everything, you know, and, you know, he struggled between the cancer and which I, I imagine had something to do with the lead in the bullet. I don't know. Um, and the, the trauma and the injury and the inflammation and everything be really interested to know, uh, why exactly what caused the cancer. But anyways, he went through a lot. And he's a really good guy. He's got a really big heart, would do anything for anybody. And we've been trying to link for a long time, so I was happy to spend some time with him last night. But it just made me think about warfare, uh, and it made me think about the direction that this country is headed right now. Um, and this election coming up um, this year. And uh, bloodshed in, in war and in combat are not things to be taken lightly. I think we get desensitized because we learn about war in school. You know, we see the pictures, we watch the movies, and then you you, you watch war movies, and then you got a lot of video games like Call of Duty that are just war, 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 and gun battles and all this stuff. And you get desensitized to it. And, um, you know, I think everybody thinks that a lot of men think that when it comes push comes to shove that they're going to I think a lot of men believe falsely that they're capable of violence and um, you know I'm not I I know and, and, and I know I'm in the camp of guys that's not afraid to use I've used violence before um many times throughout my, it's been years and years and years, you know, but I used to be not, you know, involved in some not so good things. And there's a lot of stories I could tell you guys and, you know, but I think that a lot of men mistakenly believe that they can handle violence because they grew up playing these video games, watching these movies, playing, pretending to play war. And, uh, you know, you can, when you just sit down and look at somebody like him in the, in the face, there's just something different in the eyes. Like, you know, I, I was watching this guy, he's, he's, uh, his name's DJ Shipley. It's either a Green Beret or a Ranger or, or something. I don't know. Look up DJ Shipley. He's pretty popular right now. 
and you see these guys. There's six, I can't remember this guy's name. He has a lot of veterans on his podcast, and he always gives them a gift. Um, you, you'll have to look to Dan something maybe. I think his name's Dan, if I'm not mistaken. He's got like a shaved head. He almost looks like slightly like Oriental, but he's not. I don't know what he is, like Hawaiian or something. I don't know. I don't know enough about him. I haven't watched really. I've just seen clips of his show. But he has these veterans on um, that have seen live combat and that have killed other people. And, um, like, he had a, this 90-year-old guy who used a flamethrower in the caves in Vietnam War. Like, his job was to go into caves, basically, and light it up and literally light people on fire. It's like... And, you know, he's, he's describing what it's like to light somebody on fire with a flamethrower and how people react to suddenly just being, just bursting into flames. And you watch guys like that old war war or that old Vietnam vet. You watch guys like DJ Shipley that have definitely got a major body count. Um, you know, I don't know if Josh, um, I'm not at liberty to speak on whether or not he's killed people. Um, but he saw a lot of active combat, so my, my guess, and I would never ask him, you know, I would wait for him to just share that with me naturally uh, in conversation. And I don't know that he would, but I can't speak for Josh, but um, there's something in, in, there's you see something in their eyes is what I'm getting at. These guys that have uh, been exposed to combat and have seen people die or have almost died themselves, or have taken lives, and there's there's just something in the you know what I mean? And I think that that I just realized this stopped recording, and I think it did the same thing yesterday on our podcast episode. I think it did the same thing because I pulled into the gym and it said we were only 14 minutes deep. So yesterday's episode got cut short, which is a shame because I had some really good stuff. That sucks. See, this is why I don't do it connected to the Bluetooth. Look at, look at what just happened. That's ridiculous. Anyways, I'm glad I caught it. I didn't talk long at all. I just got an indication. This Denali, you can see the speed limit and then what the radio is doing up on the windshield. So it just told me it disconnected and reconnected. But I think people underestimate what it takes uh, to take a human life and then what, like, what you carry around with you for the rest of your life. You know, even the baddest dudes on the planet that have killed dozens of people you know, Navy SEALs, Rangers, guys have seen active combat, live combat. They don't look like they feel very good about it. You know? And, um, I think, uh, you know, you'd have to be a special kind of psychopath to be able to take a life and then just, oh, yeah, I kill people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And not have it have any kind of real effect on you. So I, I don't know what the point of today. I just wanted to share this story with you guys. I know I've been doing a lot of storytelling recently. Hopefully you guys don't mind a break from the me yelling at you about being fat and poor. But, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting. And I'm sure many of you listening to me might know somebody that's seen combat or taken a life. And, you know, it's uh, there's just something in your eyes. 
You know, I think about even guys that have killed people on accident. You know, I think about uh, that Ian Smith guy that owns that gym in Philadelphia that wouldn't lock down. It's pretty, he's pretty popular now, very, very popular. That Belawar gym owner, some of you Ian Smith Fitness know who I'm talking about. You know, he accidentally, he, he was, I think he was drunk driving or high in driving and like ran a stop sign and killed somebody and he served jail time for it. And, you know, he gets ragged on social media all the time. Why are you listening to this guy? This dude killed somebody. And I just, you know, was it stupid what he did? Yeah, obviously. And, you know, it costed somebody their life. But I couldn't imagine walking around every day knowing that you took somebody's life. Especially on, like, combat's a different story. Or defending yourself is a different, like... I wouldn't think twice. Somebody breaks into my house in the middle of the night and shoot first, ask questions later. I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. It's it's that simple. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to incapacitate you. You come into my space where my wife and my daughter and my little brother sleep, you're going to die. You will die. You will perish in that house if I have any say over it. You know what I mean? I'm not... <laughs> I'm not trying to, like I said, just hurt you bad enough or incapacitate you, wait for the cops to come. You, you're going to lose your life because of that decision. But to kill somebody on accident or that guy that, you know, there's that story, that dude that um, he didn't normally take his kids to school, but his wife had to go somewhere. So he put his kid in the car and just drove straight to work. And it was a hot day and he came out eight hours later and his kid was dead in the back seat. Because he forgot to drop his kid off at daycare. Like, how do you go on living after something like that? You, especially your child. If if I don't even want to sp- uh, postulate the possibility, you know. But if something like that were to happen, I don't think I don't think I could live with myself. I think I would, you know, I would never take my own life. I'm not suicidal. I'm not depressed. You guys know this. But if I were to inadvertently cause the death of somebody that I cared about, especially a child, I don't know that I could live anymore. You know, I wouldn't. I would feel dirty walking planet Earth every single day. I don't know. It would have to take. I don't know. I don't know. But this is what I was thinking about last night when I was going to sleep. This, this is what it's like being in my head. All day long. These are the thoughts that I think. You know, I try to think very deeply about things and experiences and people that I meet and conversations that I have. And I'm always looking for the lesson in things. What can I learn from this person's experiences? What can I learn? Well, you know, what what did I learn from talking to Josh and having over the past decade watched Josh go through this? You know. The, the same old lessons we hear, hear all the time. You know, life isn't guaranteed. Tomorrow's not promised. You know, but I also see how good of a person he is now. And I'm sure he has demons and battles and struggles. But he's a great guy and he has every reason to be angry. I mean, dude got shot. Then he got cancer. You know what I mean? And it's like he's a really good dude. It's like, well, if he can handle all that and still be a good person, then I can handle what I'm going through and still be a good person. And then ultimately what I ended up dwelling on last night before I drifted off to sleep was the sanctity of human life. And I just like, I think about life leaving a body. You know, I think about 
even animals. I don't like to kill animals. I just, I, something about taking life is something that, uh, I take very seriously. You know, that's why I'm a nose to tail eater. That's why I eat everything on the animal from tail to tongue to testicles. I literally eat everything. I eat tongue and testicle and bone marrow and everything because, you know, I'm very much, maybe it's the Native American blood in me. You know what I mean? Uh, I have a lot of respect. Um, I have a lot of, I, I just have a deep understanding of the sanctity of life. A very deep understanding. And, you know, I, uh, you, you, if you've ever, obviously many of you have been to funerals, you know. And when you see that person in the casket, whether it's a grandparent or, God, a parent, I hope I don't have to go through that anytime soon. Um, or, you know, just whenever you see a life in a, or a life, whenever you see a body in a casket, you know, isn't it interesting how you could just, like, you could see that the life is gone? You know, I know that sounds obvious, but when you really look at that body, you can very clearly sense and see that there's no life in it. Isn't that interesting? So it's like when you think about like from a spiritual standpoint, that person's soul is gone. And that's to me, that's the, that's one of the more compelling cases for God is our life and our consciousness. Like what animates us? You know what I mean? There's just Science can't explain what animates us, right? Well, it's our, it's our souls. It's our spirit. And everybody gets religious when it comes to death. Everybody. Everybody gets religious when it comes to death. You know what I mean? And I think it's because death in life is, again, the most poignant example of the divine nature of nature being God, you know, because you can look at a corpse, harsh language, but you can look at a corpse and see and know that it's, it's dead. There's something missing, right? Well, I mean, even somebody before they're embalmed and their blood's taken out, like if you've ever seen a dead body, it's, 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 it's a dead body, man. Like something's missing. It's that pure, it's that person's spirit. It's that person's soul. And I think, again, that's the most compelling argument for God. Is that that life he breathed into us. Like it says in the Bible that it's his breath in our lungs. His very breath in our lungs. You know, he breathed into Adam and created Adam from the dust. And to dust we return, you know, without God's spirit in us. So this is a pretty heavy topic for seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning on a, on a hump day Wednesday. But you know, this is the kind of stuff I think about. It's just a very, just very strong evidence of the existence of God is what happens to our bodies when we die. You know, they just, you know, people talk about watching the life leave people's eyes. You know, I can remember uh, putting our dog Samson down, who was my buddy. I always get emotional when I think about Samson. That was tough on me. Um, 
It was like right in COVID too. So I can remember putting our dog Samson down and just uh, when they plunged that in, I was holding them like I had my, uh, get it together here, Michael. I had my head on, <laughs> I had my head on him. And uh, I can remember the moment that I knew he was gone. It just, in his eyes and his body, something just, that's how I would just, just like something, the vacuum just sucked the life right out. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. I guess the point of today is that life is very, 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 very precious. And I want to remind you of that today because you only get one. You know what I mean? We get one shot at this, dude. And we're just big bags of fluid. You know? We're, it's really easy to pop this bag of fluid and die. We're just we're just big bags of blood and water. You know what I mean? And fluid and plasma. And, but, you know, it's just it takes one. You get stabbed and you just... you play, Isn't that crazy? Somebody could just walk up to you and pop you. Like, with a knife. Just pop your balloon. And you just bleed out and you're gone. That's it. That's all it takes. Life is like extra super fragile. Our bodies are amazing machines that can respond to all kinds of insane trauma. But you don't get the proper medical care. Somebody walks up and stabs you in the liver. It's it's game over for you. You know what I mean? Somebody slits your throat or you, you you nick an artery in your leg. It's like really scary stuff, man. So I just want you to think about... The precious nature of your life. Think about the precious nature of your life, the life around you. Remember how fragile yours and everybody else's lives are in your life. Try to reflect on that and uh, make sure that you live the absolute best life you could live today. Because you're not promised tomorrow or next week. It's funny, we make all these grand plans Got all these plans, everything laid out. This is when I'm going to get married. This is when I'm going to have kids. And this is the house I want to live in. And these are the cars I want to drive. This is why I don't stress over things, man. I don't stress over things anymore. Rarely. Because if it's going to work, it's going to work. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And either way, I might be dead before I see the result. You know what I mean? Uh, let me say that again. If it's going to work, it's going to work. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And either way, I might be dead and I won't see the result. And so I try not to stress over things. I try not to stress over what's going to happen tomorrow. I try not to stress over things that stress people out. You know, I live a very stress-free life and I, I'm under situationally, circumstantially, I'm under a lot of things that would cause people immeasurable amounts of stress and problems. You know, I feel like most people in my shoes would develop several addictions and skin problems and just all kinds of just anxiety issues. You know what I mean? But I'm pretty chill. You know what I mean? I have my moments, but I'm pretty chill. And I really think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I am very aware of my mortality and... I keep that in perspective. And I don't allow things that don't matter to stress me out. All right, that's today's episode. Very somber. (laughs) Think about death today, gang. Love you guys. See ya.